Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. True Hauntings is a frightfully good production. Alaska doesn't have any actual castles, but it used to. The majestic Baranov Castle was home to many Russian governors in the 1800s. What remains are a few ruins and the hill the castle once stood on. Why is it a place that still draws in ghost hunters from around the world? Is there something else other than the weather that might give you a chill if you explore this historic site? Well, there is also a gorgeous view, but supposedly a spirit allegedly walks the hills looking for something that will eventually give it peace. Baranoff Castle in Sitka has a history that is far longer than Alaska has been part of the United States, and it is said that one of the historic residents still haunts the Castle Hill. Indeed, you might cross its path if you go and explore the area yourself. Hi, my name is Renata. And I'm Anne, and we welcome you to this week's episode of The True Hauntings Podcast. Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow, forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. Hi and welcome, Anne. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fabulous. Now, how are you, Renata? Well, after having a few days actually wiped off the face of existence with me having vertigo. Yeah, you were I'm, spinning. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of getting better. And I remember you were saying something about your eyes were darting back and forth. Yes, when I when I get vertigo, my eyes don't sit still in my head. You can actually see that I'm, I'm not sorry, well. I should laugh, but <laughs> I'm just imagining you sitting there with your eyes going zitting, zitting, yeah, zitting. They, they actually do. They they can't they can't sit still in oh, my head. It's wow. terrible. I have to have my eyes closed and be in total darkness. <laughs> what happens if you don't? I'll fall over and um, I end up crying a lot and... Um, you become the vomitron. Vomitron. 
I do. <laughs> it's terrible. Anyone anyone who has vertigo will understand uh, what I'm going through. What, it's, do it's you know terrible. what sets it off? Um, I have a neck injury, so ah. I have a cervical um, spine injury, um, and rather so, than a cervical, yes, yes, cervical, 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 whatever. cervical, whatever. It's the other end, Renata. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> you just worked that out. <laughs> your cervix in you is not the same place as the other one. Okay, a neck injury. <laughs> Thank you. Um, that. Uh, is a work-related injury and um, I've kind of not been the same since that yeah. and that can set it off but also uh, stress can set it off. So there You are, can't um... be stressed for that. <laughs> no. on earth in this world have you got anything to be stressed <laughs> Absolutely about? Absolutely not. I know what it is. You're upset. You're upset that we didn't get a nomination in the Kennedy Awards. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, geez. That was funny. Once we saw who was nominated, we went, oh, don't think this is actually our category. <laughs> oh, look, beautiful body that um, works on this podcast suggested that we go into it. I don't know why, Bonnie. You were having one of those moments, weren't you? <laughs> She probably but, didn't know either. But we did, we did go in it, and it was an epic fail, and that's okay. Because... Hey, look, you can't win if you don't enter. <laughs> no, that's and look, right. next year we might take it out. We might be at that academia survival <laughs> level where we can do it. I don't know. No, 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 no. Um, this no, is not going to happen. Just no. <laughs> we need, hey, but, we well, need other podcast awards to enter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We need the uh, the basic ones. We might get a, a look in on those. But we had Lock and Vi House last weekend. Now, we how did. did you think it went? I think it went really well. We had a few very new people. Yeah, it's always great to see new faces. Yes, we had some um, paranormal uh, investigation virgins. Mm-hmm. We popped those cherries, and we had a quite a sceptical young lady Which who was awesome. was awesome because she sat through everything. She made notes. She looked at the um, reasonings behind everything. She told us the stories without sort of being. Um, like overly emotive, maybe? No, no. she stayed skeptical, but she didn't stay cynical. cynical she wasn't yes. cynical, which was awesome because we kind of got the real story of, of what happened in certain um, situations. And there was one particular lady who went deep down into a, um, a channeling experience mm-hmm, mm-hmm. while on the SB11. Um, and so that was really good to get her input. Um, a lot of people actually stayed up all night, weird people that they we were. Didn't. Uh, we didn't. We didn't. <laughs> we went to bed. We went to bed. Um, we had the pillow fort in between us. <laughs> and so everyone, I think, got out of it uh a great deal. Yeah. There were some things that occurred for people. So, you know, people were uh, pushed. They felt scratched. They saw dark shadows in certain areas where people have seen dark shadows before. There was movement in the room. There was footsteps. There was footsteps. Oh, it's like footsteps. Yeah, there was some channeling that was done. So, you know, from the point of view of being uh, in a haunted site when things start to happen, I think it was pretty good. It yeah. was a pretty good experience for everyone. And apart from being a little bit cold, it was it was a fabulous night. It was. And the pizza was good too. Mm. And the breakfast. Yes. <laughs> and the cheese. Yes. 
All of that as well. Yeah, but I'm excited because I've got new gadgets. I have got myself a um, sort of this little tiny rig that I can mount my mobile phone into, and I've got this um, some microphones that I can now connect up, so I can do some live feeds. I can do some live crosses with microphones, so people can hear what's happening, and. Um, just check out the Anne and Renata Frightfully Good YouTube page because we'll be doing some live feeds there now and you'll be able to hear what's happening. Oh, excellent. Oh, you're, I'm I want one of those rigs too. Yeah, you want to? All right, I'll find it for you. Mm. Shall we but get... We have an interesting story. We're going to Alaska. Oh, I wish we were really going to Alaska. We're going to Alaska. Yeah. So let's get on with the story. Okay. At Easter time, she wanders with sorrowful men from room to room and leaves a faint perfume as of wild roses where she passes. Innumerable young officers from the men of war have nerved up their spirits and gone to spend a solitary night in the castle, but none have yet held authentic converse with the beautiful spirit and learned the true story of unresting sorrow. By tradition, the lady in black was the daughter of one of the old governors. On her wedding night, she disappeared from the ballroom in the midst of the festivities and after long search was found dead in one of the small drawing rooms. Being forced to marry against her will, one belief was that she voluntarily took poison while another version ascribes the deed to an unhappy lover, while, altogether, the tale of this Lucia of the Northwest Isles gives just the touch of sentimental interest to this castle of the Russian governors. Well, that little soundscape today was actually written by uh, a lady called Skidmore, who was an American writer, and she was the first woman to serve on the board of the National Geographic Society. So she had a series of her, of her travel letters that appeared in newspapers, mm-hmm. and this was taken from one of the letters that she wrote. Oh, very nice. Yes, it was an interesting little grab of something. Yes. But uh, it actually said the lady in black, but... Uh, Interestingly, she's referred to as other things, yes. which I'll get to later. Yes, yes. So the ghost stories associated with this site are very, very interesting. And I, I wish I had had that bit to talk about, <coughs> but I got the history. But the history is so volatile. The history is very, very violent after um, what you actually gave me yeah. in um, information because what I had prepared was very dry and I know people like history mm-hmm. but dry history still remains dry history. Yeah, you need a little bit of lube to make it yeah. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and you need you need a little bit more um, yeah, stuff lube. From, from the background to, yeah. I'm just I'm, right I'm throwing you now. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> uh, but I, I guess there's a little bit of a warning here because we do talk about death um, in my part and a lot of death. So if you feel quite triggered or emotional at this point in time, uh, maybe just save this for when you have a clearer head. It is important to talk about this part of the history because what is left of the Baranoff 
historic site isn't a lot. Mm -hmm. It's literally a hill with some grass on it and um, a few cannons and uh, a few bits of old bricks. Probably a plaque. Bricks and mortar. Hundreds of plaques. Right. They, they talk about a sea of plaques or panels which teach the visitor about the area. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, yeah, it's it's quite... It's quite somber. Yeah. Yeah. So this this is a historic spot where the Russians actually took down their flag and officially transferred the state of Alaska over to the US in a formal ceremony in 1867. But as you said, it kind of reminds us a little bit about what is going on in the Ukraine right now. Yeah. This bloody battle um, of the Russians wanting to keep a site, um, an area of land that never belonged to them, sorry, and um, exploit it as much as they could. And back then it was all about the fur trade. We were living in very different times. And, of course, this was a a co-creation. It was the Russian-American company that was settled there in 1790 on the northeastern side of Kodiak Island. And it was very much about um, the fur trade and making money from that. So there were were great hostilities because, of course, when all of these things happen, we don't have to look far. It happened in our history as well. Mm -hmm. Um, The Indigenous people of the land become um, nothing more than... Collateral damage. Collateral damage. Yeah. Uh, And all of a sudden, a place where people have existed and lived for many hundreds, thousands of years sometimes, uh, all of a sudden becomes um, meaningless because they have invaders that have come in and said, no, we're taking this over. Thank you very much. You really don't exist in our eyes and we don't care what happens to you. Yeah. Yeah. So this company uh, that I just mentioned, the Russian-American company that came over, um, was led by uh, the governor of Alaska at that time, Alexander Baranov, hence Baranov Castle. I know that name. Yes. And uh, this young fellow was, oh, well, this fellow was actually a 15-year-old runaway, and he turned out to be a successful trader and became known for a period of time of Lord of Alaska. Uh, I don't know whether that would have been a terribly fitting, um, I don't know who called him the Lord of Alaska, but it was certainly not the Well, we've the been called people. the Queens of the Paranormal <laughs> by a TV station, so yes. we grabbed it and ran with it because we can't call ourselves that. <laughs> mm. So in Russia, he is looked upon as a generous benef- benefactor to Alaska's native inhabitants and the bringer of education and missionary settlements into the territory. Now, whenever missionary settlements are raised for me, all the hairs on the back of my neck stand up and I go, uh-oh, this is going to be bad. Yep. So how do you feel when somebody mentions missionary position? Yeah, just as bad. Okay. <laughs> oh, and you have a way of skewing things. You I really do. do. Oh, it's a talent. I know. You're the only one that possesses it, I tell you. Special. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, yes, not all remember the Baranoff um, era fondly in southeast Alaska even today. So despite despite his good deeds, many remember a brutal and effective overlord, which he was. 
by 1795, Baranoff had become concerned with the ever-increasing numbers that were coming into the Russian territories from Britain and Europe and America, especially the fur traders that were encroaching on his territories uh, near today's north um, West Pacific area and the and British Columbia, and back then over in Alaska, that was the only thing to do. You know, you were either doing that or killing whales. So everyone was going over to find a way to make a lucrative income. Yeah. Yep. It's like how do you how do you stop the dam once you know the the gates have been open and there's a flood coming? It's mm. very hard to. It's like once the word gets out, there's gold in an area. They yeah. just all all go rushing to it. Yep. So something had to be done to protect Russian interests. And by the end of 1795, Baranov had met with a band of Tlingit, Tlingit, Tlingit? which mm. were the... Um... Not related to the Klingons? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sounds like child. The, it's the children of the Klingons, the Klingits. <laughs> That's a baby. A little git. They were the indigenous people uh, near present-day Sitka. I apologise. I don't. <laughs> uh, but what he failed to realise was that the Tlingit bands throughout southeast Alaska. Sounds, is that a rock band, the Tlingit band? <laughs> it's all the little kids. Stop it! <laughs> they operated not as a unified people, but in their own little areas. So very much the, like the indigenous people um, everywhere. They all had their little bands everywhere, and they were kind of like these little units, not it, not all together as one. Um, but they all had their little different governances that they worked around. And so in order to seek the privileges that he required to make all of this happen, uh, the Russians needed to negotiate with all of the clans and all of the vi- villages within the Tlingit landscape. Oh, it t- isn't it? It's not a Kling, it's a no, t- t- Tling. Tlingit. Tling. Tlingit. So so within the next several years, Baranoff uh, decided to move his base somewhere where it was just easier uh, and he didn't have to deal with all of this stuff. So it was now known as the Russian-American Company and it went from Kodiak Island to an area in Sitka Sound, which was ideal because there was enough spruce and uh, western hemlock and strong flexible trees for construction of all the ships and buildings that he required. I thought you were going to say something then, all the S-H-I-T. <laughs> no. And there was lots of food. The rivers teemed with salmon. There were fur-bearing sea mammals. Um, well, and... you would have been on a diet. Oh, God. I would have, I would have eaten Do you like a nice nothing. bit of blubber for dinner? No. <laughs> No. Mm, bit of salt on that. Mm. Now, one site in particular caught Baranoff's attention, and in 1795, he uh, found this large granite outcropping rising just above the water and looming over the bay. He looked at it like Gibraltar, and it was a Gibraltar, the rock of Gibraltar of the new land, and it was a perfect site for a fortification and, of course, a statement to all parties coming in to challenge the Russian supremacy of this rich land, he decided that he was going to build his castle on the hill. I've just realised, you know how you're talking about the dry history? 
I'm your I'm your lube. Oh God. <laughs> I'm the one that makes it really interesting. Uh, <laughs> it's all about me, didn't you know? Now the hill was already occupied by a Tlingit fort and encampment known as the Big Fort. And uh, Baranov decided upon a, slight, uh, a second settlement in what was now called Starigavan Bay or Old Harbour, about seven miles north of the Big Fort. But the peace between the Russians and the Tlingit was short-lived. So there was a pattern of brutal treatment by the Russians and competition for resources that soon boiled over. And on June the 20th, 1802, the settlement was attacked by the Tlingit army in full battle regalia from nearby Indian Creek on Sitka Island. So to the Russian surprise, they were armed not only with their normal spears and clubs, which, you know, they thought that's all they are going to have. Yeah, because I think they're just um, just the natives. Yep. That's all they're going to have. But they also, Surprise! Yeah, they also had a large cache, cache of modern guns. And, and this, this is where I thought of the Ukraine. Yes. Because they've, they've, somebody has supplied them with that to help them. Mm-hmm. And that, that would be the Americans. Yeah. There you go. So these guns were most likely acquired through trade with European and American trading vessels, Mm -hmm. exactly those that the Russians wanted to stop coming in in the first place. And the battle resulted in a catastrophic loss of of the Russian colony. Almost every man within the walls of the stockade was massacred. 20 Russian and 130 Eluit bodies were strewn about the grounds mutilated and left to rot and the poor women and children who survived the massacre were subsequently enslaved and brought back as war trophies to the Big Fort Hill and the Indian River Village. Now remember the Big Fort Mm -hmm. is the thing that Baranov wants. Yeah. So perhaps it is the lonely spirit of one of these poor women, a captive who witnessed the death of her loved ones and everything she held dear who haunts the hill to this very day. Are you talking ghost stories, Renata? Because I'm going to smack you. No. Oh, that's all I want to say. Mm. That's all I want to say. Baranov was infuriated by this loss. And by 1804, he had amassed an army and he set sail for Sitka with the Russian warship Neva, accompanying um, artillery support. So he was ready to get this thing back. But what they found upon their arrival was a village ready to fight, not a village ready to give up Mm -hmm. and say, here you go, you know. We roll over, take it. Yeah. So the Tlingit had constructed another fort less than a mile from Big Fort, made more... Little fort. Yes. And this was made of more than 1,000 Sitka spruce trees, and it was called the Fort of the Young Saplings. And it was located adjacent to a long and wide gravel bar that extended so far out into the bay that any ship would have a hard time bringing their guns in close enough to fire at the natives' forts. Ah, so they couldn't get their cannon fire in close enough to bomb them. Yes. So the plan for the Tlingit was to initially begin fighting with the Russians at Big Fort and gauge the strength of the army. Now, a badly wounded Baranov ordered his ships to begin a steady bombardment of the fortifications and throughout the day, the cannonade continued and by nightfall, a call for surrender was issued. The Tinglet scoffed at the idea, but realising they could never contend with the cannon fire from the ships, they began a pre-planned withdrawal from the area. Now, this is where we want to warn people. Yes. 
Alright, so if you are triggered by um, anything horrible happening to humanity, just, just switch off for a little bit here. Yeah. So women and able-bodied children slipped out first, bound for a northern bay where they would construct a new village. Upon landing ashore, the Russians were horrified to find that all the infants and dogs within the Tlingit fortresses were killed that night. It's unbelievable. The, ting- the Tlingit were frightened that a safe retreat would be foiled due to the wailing of the babes and the howling of the dogs. So all were summer- summarily clubbed to death. Yeah, babies and the animals. Yeah, I I, so it could be a um, a silent retreat. Yeah, because you can't do that with a baby. You no. can't make a baby be quiet. And dogs are naturally going to be barking at um, people they don't know who it is. So I the, don't think I could do it. They were sacrificed for I know. the safety of the the whole the nation as a whole. The, their people. Their people. I get that, but I. I don't know. I if I I look at my puppies which are curled up on the bed here with us in the room while we're recording yeah. and think, you know, if we were under attack and we had to survive, could I do that to them? Yeah. Um, never mind babies. If I think of like little baby Ruby, I don't think I could. Yeah. I think I'd just I would take us all out. Yep. So it's not known how many infants uh, were lost that night, but the number of warriors within the fort was estimated to be around 800. Scores of children were killed to ensure the survival of the people as a whole. Having to make such a terrible choice is almost unbearable in itself. For two more days, the unrelenting bombardment of the forts continued, and for two more days, negotiations for a truce and the secret escape of hundreds of Tlingit tribal members continued. So this was all done in the background while they still fought. So they were pretending that nothing was going on. They were distracting by fighting out the front. Oh, my God, what a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. Finally and mercifully, the Russians heard echoing over the placid water of Sitka Harbour a lone and final war song from Big Fort. This ancestral fortification, occupied since at least 1000 AD by native peoples of Alaska, was gone from their grasp. The pounding of the drum and wailing cries of despair at its conclusion told the tale that the Russians had succeeded. The bay and the Strait of Gibraltar to the west that guarded her was theirs. The remaining Tlingit warriors slipped into the dark forest under cover of night, escaping to the northern east extreme of the island, joining what remained of their shattered families. After several more days of cautious observation, the Russians made landfall and discovered the horrific extremes the Tlingit had taken to ensure their safe escape. The diary of a Russian captain by the name of Lysiansky speaks well to the feeling of the men upon observing the brutal tactics employed for survival. And he says, having come ashore, I observed the most barbaric sight that could bring even the most hardened heart to tremble and recoil. Assuming that we could trace them in the woods by the voices of infants and dogs, the Sitkins put them all to death. The entire set of circumstances led us to conclude that the fortress had contained no less than 800 persons of male gender. 
Disgusted and battle-weary, the Russians occupied their prized hilltop fortification and destroyed the fort at Indian Creek, never again to be used by the Sitka Tinglet. Tlingit, sorry. The Russians erased the native presence in what they called New Archangel. The hill known as the Big Fort was uh, was renamed after Baranoff and a sizable fort was built on ancestral Tlingit lands atop the charred remains and dead bodies. Bloody hell, if that place is not haunted... I know, right? My goodness. That's the... the that's why that history is so important because it layers the foundations for a possible haunting. Yep, yep. The blood it, of children and, mm-hmm. and innocence and, and puppy dogs. In 1818, Russian America's famed Governor Baranoff had retired, never to see his final uh, manifestation uh, of the fortress on the hill. It's a testament to his fame rather than his actual deeds that the castle bear his, bears his name. Uh, while European and American trading companies continued to exert further and further influence on the inside passage, the Russian Empire eagerly exploited the remaining power it held in the region from this opulent seat upon the rock. It is during this particular time period that the ghosts or ghosts uh, associated with what is now named Castle Hill appear to have originated. It is here that the ghostly history of Castle Hill begins. And that information comes from this fabulous book called Spirits of the Southeast of Alaska by James Devereaux. Uh, And he goes into this history in detail. And um, thank you for giving me this book to look at, to read and to study because I could not find anything in such detail anywhere else. Yeah, it, it was an awesome book and uh, I just happened to come across it on Scribed mm. and um, I went, oh, yeah, now we've got the, the juice behind this story mm. because um, this is supposed to be you know, one of the most haunted places in Alaska mm-hmm. uh, and I, we like to know why. We yes. don't just want to tell the story. We want to know the history behind it that layers in what can create a haunting. Yeah, and I have to admit the stuff that I was finding just wasn't giving me it enough. It needed my I, lube. I know. <laughs> I I came in today going, I'm, I'm upset with what I found. So we literally, uh, from my bit, I had to rethink all of it and put it into greater perspective so that uh, it would make sense to all of us why this place is so haunted. Allegedly haunted. Well, I'm going to hand that over to you now. Yes, well, um, boy, do I have some stories to tell you. I'm listening. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So, into the ghost stories we go. There really is only one major ghost story attached to this location, but boy, it's a doozy. So I'm going to go through several different articles that I found and books that have the story. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a legend of a beautiful princess whose ghost haunted the castle for many years. The story has been told by many at different times and is one of the romantic tales that cluster around the old metropolis of the fur trading days. Her lover was sent away or killed through the influence of a Oba officer who sought her hand in marriage so eliza ruhama skidmore who i i mentioned from the uh the soundscape Soundscape. yeah wrote so delightfully of her sitka journeys in alaska um that she's she's reported on all this by tradition the lady in black was the daughter of one of the old governors and it goes into that story that i was telling you there but Let's let's just cross over now. I'm going to give you like the full story, and this is a little bit in depth. Uh, and this is from the Spirits of Southeast Alaska by James P. Devereaux. Uh, I'm not clever enough to write as well as this, but I wanted to give you the story because it's um, breathtaking. Right. In the most popular form of this legend, this poor grief-stricken spirit was the daughter or niece of one of the territorial governors. 
right? So we, we've changed the story a little bit already. Though the possibility of the spirit being a daughter of a governor is highly unlikely because there was no territorial governor that had a female ch- child survive into adulthood. Mm-hmm. So we've got an issue mm-hmm. right off the bat. Mm-hmm. So she's no longer really a princess. Well, no, this, hang on. No, we, we, it's it's even switched already from princess to governor's daughter. But yep. let me let me tell you the um, the uh, mm-hmm. rest of the story because it's quite Mills and Boone. I'm telling you now. Uh, so now it seems to go back to the princess. So they they seem to think that the legend is that of a noble woman who was. Uh, renowned both in her native homeland and in her new life in Sitka for her grace and beauty. Never before had the frontier outpost encountered such a creature. Men both noble and common immediately fell in love with her. Mm, Despite Mm -hmm. an endless series of suitors, the princess, now we're switched back to the princess, Mm -hmm. are we all confused already? Mm -hmm. No, I was, remained virtuous and pure. Her heart kept close and patient. Finally, during a grand ball held at the castle, the princess's eyes met with a handsome young prince who was serving aboard one of the trading vessels frequenting the harbour. Their mutual attraction soon blossomed into a deep and profound love. Hmm. Can I just say that the castle wasn't really a castle? Mm, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It was. It, it was. It yeah, wasn't. It was a wooden fort. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that, let's let's don't ruin it for people yet. <laughs> I've got to get. Into, there's there's quite a bit I've, I've got to read I've, here. I've, I want to take people away into another whole Mills and Boone Harlequin story. <laughs> Keep going. Oh, it is. It's fabulous. Um. All right. Now I've lost my place. Thank you. Their mutual attraction soon blossomed into a deepened, profound love. They would frequently sneak off to the mouth of Indian Creek to declare their undying affection for one another. Unfortunately, another much older and nefarious prince would soon arrive in Sitka and seek to destroy their blossoming, blossoming romance. Oh, what a lot of crap. Oh, this is. <laughs> You're ruining the moment. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I don't think you've got a romantic bone left in your body. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> He was a brutal and sinful man. I feel like this is a Disney script. <laughs> according in legend, according to legend, he lost numerous fortunes in his life through vice, crime and evil deeds. Mm-hmm. He came to Sitka seeking his fourth fortune at the reluctant invitation of the governor who he knew from Russia. Unfortunately, during that time, the evil prince discovered the governor was involved in an unsuccessful revolutionary plot, a treasonous act punishable by death. Such a crime, if found out, would surely be capable of ruining the governor's life as well as the life of his entire family. The prince, the evil prince, knew this and used it to his advantage time and time again. This sounds, or actually, it's sounding more like um, Ghost Rider mm-hmm. that we have for the uh, Spooky Sundays mm-hmm, podcast. Mm-hmm. Upon his arrival, he was introduced to the princess and was immediately taken by her beauty. He knew her as a girl in Russia and always harboured a desire for her. Being long, sorry, before long, not being long, <laughs> before long, the prince told the governor he wanted to marry the princess. The governor was well aware that she loved another, but he approved heartily of the match because he had no choice. 
The refusal of the evil prince's uh, request would have been certain death or banishment to him and his entire family. The governor called upon the princess the next day and told her of her fate. The young woman was devastated and instantly refused the arrangement, as she should. It's not her fault her father was involved in nefarious things. You know what I'm I'm seeing here? There are no names associated with these people whatsoever. Not in this story, but I've, I've got others. Ooh, okay. I've got, right. got, oh, Let's go deeper. I've, we've got deeper, yeah. In response, the government banned her young lover forever from the castle on the hill and endeavoured to remove him from Russia and America altogether. He was not success, successful in his efforts to alienate, to, words, to alienate the young prince. The love between the two was so profound that nothing could stop it. They continued to meet in secret at their spot along the banks of the Indian River just outside of the shadows of the castle. <laughs> the wooden <laughs> fort. One day the evil prince <laughs> followed oh, no. the pair to the river and reported the tryst to the governor, threatening exposure if the lovers were not parted at once. The governor acted quickly and decisively. The next morning, he announced that an expedition was headed southward, leaving that very day in order to ascertain the position of enemy trading posts along the frontier. The young priest... Priest? (laughs) (laughs) I need another coffee. The young prince was selected as one of the officers of the reconnaissance vessel. Of course he was. Of course he was. Once aboard the vessel, the trap was sprung. The prince was locked below deck, unable to escape and separated indefinitely from his love. The princess, unaware that her lover was being held against his will, waited patiently as days turned into weeks and weeks into months. She feared the worst but could not bring herself to accept that he was gone. Still, in spite of the possibility of her lover's death, she refused to marry the evil prince. I've still got a bit to go. Mm -hmm. Finally, after several months with no sign of his return, she agreed to marry the evil prince on the condition that they wait until March 18th, the birthday of the governor. Every night until the night before the wedding, the princess would light a lantern and climb up to the cupola. She scanned the seas to the south. Desperately, oh, Renata is making hand movements, looking. <laughs> um, desperately looking for any sign of the vessel that carried all the love and hope she had in the world. <laughs> Alas. 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 I don't use that word enough. Alas. Alas. (laughs) On March 18th, clad in a flowing... Where the fuck is all this shit come from? Um, Clad in a flowing silk dress and adorned in diamonds. Some of this stuff is important because I'm going to refer back to this later. The princess was wed to the evil prince in St. Michael's Cathedral. There's not a cathedral. <laughs> no. It's a fort. Bloody wooden fort. <laughs> Afterwards, a lavish celebration was held at the castle. Fine wines and champagne were toasted to the future of the couple. Food, which was seldom seen on the Russian frontier, was enjoyed. Mm. Apparently, they brought food in. Merriment and laughter filled the halls and hearts, except one heart. The princess, ashen with despair, spoke barely a word and seemed at death's door from sorrow. Suddenly, 
A boom from the southernmost watchtower resounded through the castle, announcing the arrival of a friendly vessel. Oh, just a moment too late. I think this is the script for the Princess Bride. Feigning illness, the princess excused herself, I have a headache, from the festivities and ran to the cupola. There, mooring in the harbour, was the ship of her love. She ran to the spot of their lover's tryst, waiting for his arrival. Out of the darkness, the young men approached, and they locked in a passionate embrace. In the distance, the enraged calls of her new husband echoed throughout the valley. A line of men with torches appeared from the castle walls, hurriedly heading in the direction of the well-known rendezvous spot. Trapped on the island, with no possibility of escape, facing certain death for their infidelity. Oh, they must have done the deed. Um, the young couple decided that it was better to die together on the banks of the river, where they fell in love than separately at the gallows. With one last kiss, they unsheathed their hidden blades. Oh, I bet he oh, did. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh, we just ruined the flow of a beautiful story. <laughs> oh, pissed, p- pissed. <laughs> Please don't continue. Pierced their oh, hearts and oh, fell dead oh, on the okay. bank. That's what they pierced. Sorry. <laughs> Not a hymen. Oh, God. <laughs> As they held one another, their blood mixed together for all eternity and washed out to sea. Oh, my God. It's so beautiful. I'm crying. When the men arrived, the heartbroken governor collapsed in sorrow, cursing the mistakes of his youth and the tragedy he'd caused. He buried buried them, still locked in their embrace on the banks of the river that they lived and died on. Following her death, stories have been reported of her spirit walking the halls of Baranoff's castle. She is sometimes described as wearing blue or black flowing garments. Most likely her wedding dress, even though uh, the traditional wedding dress is white, but we won't talk about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it might be reflecting her mood. That might be why she's wearing black. Um, As she carries a single candle or lantern in her hand, and she seems to be searching for something that isn't there. Often the spirit was seen in the cupola of the castle, her eyes fixed out on the horizon, do we mention the fact that the castle doesn't exist? No, um, no, 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 we'll just a keep A couple going. of times we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her eyes fixed out on the horizon to search um, forever, searching for her lover. Many witnesses report seeing her eyes filled with tears and noticed a flowing wound on her breast. Just before disappearing, she is said to gaze up at whoever has spied her and lets out a blood-curdling anguish cry before dis- disappearing. If this a cry of is this a cry of pain at the self-inflicted wound, or is it derived from the anguish she felt at the separation of her lover? What a load of bollocks! (laughs) (laughs) So. That's one story. All right. Now let me get, let me regale you with more because I've I've got paper everywhere now. Hang on, let me go to number two. I've marked them all so I can find them. Uh, so that was number two, right? They're not okay. as long as that one. No, no, it? no. That but that one sort of was the the best one to set the scene compared mm-hmm, to the mm-hmm, other ones. Mm-hmm. Now we're going over to this one um, where we sort of start to get some names. Mm-hmm. So remember, this is not. 
the same story, but it's the same blue lady, mm-hmm. as she's referred to in many mm-hmm. magazines, or black lady. So now we're talking about Baron Ferdinand von Rangel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How's that for a name? He <coughs> was a Russian naval officer and governor of Russia's Alaska between 1829 and 1835. Uh, so this is where they appointed the governor of Alaska. And if he, if he was going to be a governor, he had to be married. Um, so just before departing Russia, he married Elizabeth Teodora. Uh, oh, geez, you've got a humding of a name. Hang on, let me get all this in. Elizabeth Teodora Natalia Carolina de Rossellin. I'm sounding Italian. Rossellon, daughter of Baron Wilhelm de Rossellon. Jeez. Um, oh, so that, this is why this man needed a wife, so he could be the governor. Uh, Adolf Krakulov Etenlon was serving for the Russian uh, Navy and chief manager. Uh, and it looks like that he was the one that fell in love with uh, the daughter. Um, and it, it all gets a little bit confusing, but, you know, she, she gets married off and uh, to the prominent personage, which then resulted in her suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think if I remember correctly, the dates don't match up and there's something that's wrong with that one as well. Mm-hmm. Nowhere near as dramatic as the other one. But it's still sort of the same story. She's, yeah. she's pressed she, to marry someone yeah. she doesn't love. Yeah. Uh, and then we go on to the lighthouse. I hadn't heard anything about a lighthouse. The castle lighthouse we're talking about was a chore for the keepers to look after. Uh, they have to carry seal and whale oil up to the top there. There was brass and copper things that had to be polished daily, but worst of all, it had a ghost. Oh. Legend claims that the town was haunted by a beautiful princess uh-huh. whose untimely death was the re- result of Baranoff's little dictatorship. Uh, then we go into that they claim that her wrath returns at six month intervals to haunt the northwest chamber of the castle where either she has been murdered or had met self-destruction. Right. So now we've got murder thrown into the mix, not right. not suicide. Right. Uh, it is told that Baranoff, knowing of the flaming love between the princess and her lover, we're back with the princess now, sent the latter to Siberia and told her that he'd been killed at sea. So right. this is where we've now got that being sent away on ship again, yep. but in a different version. Um, now, in the next sentence, it goes on about that this lovely lady was the daughter of one of the old governors, but they've just said she was a princess. Yeah. <sighs> So confusing. Again, forced to marry against her will, mysteriously vanished at the wedding festival and was later found dead in her chambers. Mm-hmm. Twice a year, they hear the swish of her ghostly wedding gown. Wow. How's that? Uh, and they also see that she's said, seen in the corridors, wringing her jeweled hands. Accompanying her visits was the fragrance of wild briar roses, which mm-hmm. is what I mentioned in the, yeah. the soundscape. Mm-hmm. When the new castle was built in 1837 and the lighthouse placed in its crown, the ghostly princess continues to visit. Okay. So they must have built something there after this castle's been taken down. Uh, so she haunts the lighthouse instead of the castle. Are we confused? 
The lighthouse is part of the castle? Well, no, they're saying that the castle was there and then they've, it sounds like they've built something else afterwards. But anyway, okay. those who tended the light complained weird noises would fill their ears on certain nights and sometimes a fire would go out as she walked through the corridor below the towers. That to me sounds like somebody forgot about it and they've blamed it on the ghost. Mm. Buggers. Right, next story. Now we get some more names in the next story. Uh, again, it's ill-fated lovers. We have the name Olga Arbutsov, which was the niece of a governor, and a swarthy sailor, sailor Demetrius Davidoff. Oh. Mm. Is that what the, that cologne is named after, Davidoff? Mm. Uh, many stories are told, uh, wild romance and... Uh, beautiful princesses again. They're talking about they're talking about committing suicide with a dagger thrust into a heart on the fifth of March and uh, the very day of her marriage to Count Nicholas Vasilov. The count was old, ugly, and of course morals. And the lovely princess was very uh, very naturally hated him. However, her uncle compelled her to marry him, though she insisted that she would take her life if he possessed existed in his demands. The princess hmm, was very much in love with the midshipman named Demetrius Davidoff, a young, handsome and accomplished gentleman, and whom the governor, when he found they were in love with each other, sent away on a six-month cruise. <laughs> six-month cruise. So he's not a prince in this one. Right. He is just a midshipman. Uh, yeah, so in the meantime, the nuptials between the princess and the count were hurried up to a consummation. The very night of the wedding, the young lover returned and went immediately to the castle. As soon as the princess saw him, she uttered a cry, rushing into his arms, snatched his dagger from uh, from the street. And then, so this is where we get a similar sort of story, plunged it into her breast, and then he did the same as well. And it's all sounding very Romeo and Juliet, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Do any of the stories that you come across even mention the um, the battles that went on there? No. Because this is very white man stuff. Isn't it? Isn't it just? Now, you think of the trauma that has happened in that location uh-huh. and it it should be about the children yep. and the warriors yep. and the animals, that mm-hmm. is what you would think would be lingering there, not this forlorn love story between this pair yeah. and an evil count. Yeah. It sounds really just made up cover to cover anything that ever happened there. Well, funny you should say that. Would you like me to go further now? I'm not going to read any more stories. Okay. I'm, I'm going to give you some information which might explain all of this. Thank you. So just a a touch of debunking for you. This location became, as you know, it it burnt down. It was the fire and it supposedly burnt down on the anniversary of the death of the princess. (laughs) 1840s or something it burnt. (laughs) Bullshit. Uh, And it, it, like any place that has been uh, damaged and is left forlorn and overgrown, 
it becomes a haunted location. Mm-hmm. That's just what people do. They look at it and go, oh, that, that place must be haunted. It mm-hmm. looks so creepy. So there was American soldiers who used to dare each other to go and spend the night in there. And they would come running out and saying, oh, no, they can't stay there because it's so haunted. Um, but was it really? Mm-hmm. Uh, there is. Uh, there, there was a great article in the Skeptics magazine about uh, how this all came about. Uh, and there was supposedly an old yellow manuscript that was found that was written by a late army chaplain named Kramer. Now. How many times in books and things is there a an old manuscript, an old diary, an old map that is found that leads you to a story? Mm-hmm. It's actually a device used by writers to introduce a story or a, a ghost or to be able to make something seem real that they have created. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there was, look, for example, uh, apparently they did that in uh, Arthur Conan Doyle's The Hound of the Baskervilles. There was some sort of um, uh, manuscript, manuscript found, found yep. which, which told of the story, which then everyone goes, oh, it's real. But there was this man called Ark, Ark Tander. And he wrote about this ghost uh, and he refers to the chaplain's old yellowed manuscript as to where this entity came from. Mm-hmm. So the the writer of this article went and looked at Arctander's uh, writings mm-hmm. and looked at this manuscript that he refers to and found that... Uh, the percentage likelihood that it is the same uh, was pretty bloody close. It was the same person. So it looks like Arctender has written this thing yep. to be able to give him this story that he wrote. All right. Okay. So there is no, no. lady in black or blue. It is a created story by Arctander, mm-hmm. which then has been picked up by other people and gone, oh, well, there's a manuscript that proves this is true. But there the is... manuscript is not real. Yeah, and the people that are mentioned when we finally do get uh, reports of them, they don't exist. Uh, the governors that served there, as we said, didn't have daughters that survived to that age that could have been uh-huh. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that if a princess, a Russian princess, had come to Alaska to uh, to visit or stay and was forced to marry against her will... Surely there would be some sort of documentation somewhere to but, say that a princess had visited. That's true. And there wasn't. No. There is nothing. It's And there, there are so many different versions of how she died. There is that she took poison, um, that she stabbed herself, that she was murdered. It's just, it's it's all over the place. And the final little dagger into this whole of the story is that it is actually very... The whole story is very closely modelled on 
uh, Bride of Lammermoor, which was a novel that was written um, in 1819 by Sir Walter Scott. Uh, the novel involves a young couple and another's plot to take advantage of the man's absence to trick the woman to arrange marriage with tragic consequences. That's an old story, though. That's been done so many times. Yeah. So it it is created. Yeah. Because it was a good story. So somebody thought, well, I'm going to just, you know, I'll have another go here and we'll, I'll add another layer into it. And this was for a newspaper, I think it was. I can't remember if it was the New York Times. I've got so many notes here that uh, I'm confused now. But I'm, I think it could have been the New York Times that he wrote for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was his chance to get out there as a writer and get his story out. That's just... Now, yeah. for me, terrible. it is. It's awful. For me, I would be expecting stories of the the um, Indigenous mm-hmm. and what trauma was laid down there. The, to me, that should be the ghost stories that you are hearing of. Mm-hmm. But I suppose no one wants to keep remembering that story, do they? Mm-hmm. That uh, the people were forced into such unimaginable horror to be able to save their people. That is true. Um, I'm just wondering whether these stories were written for the sake of the Russians that were there to give them some sort of, I don't know, historical anchor in the place rather than being sort of just bloody um, revolutionary people that came over and just took everything. Oh, we've got a ghost. We've got a sad story. Yeah. Let's, let's just all think about that. I don't know. I don't know. It's just really bizarre. The whole thing is really bizarre, but I thought it was a great um, conclusion to to how it all wrapped up is that it is all bollocks. And now, as you're saying, there are ghost hunters that still go over there searching for the blue lady. Yeah. And it it surprises me, and maybe we don't know that part about... Um, ghost hunting in Alaska. I would love to know whether they are actually finding uh, any evidence of spirits that go back to the Indigenous people. Yeah. And whether the Indigenous people that are there have any stories associated about the site because they probably would. Would they want to share them? Maybe not. Yeah. But it would be interesting to know. But I like the, how it has sort of given light to the truth of the story. And as you said at the start, it is important to tell these stories. It yeah. is important for the truth to be out there rather than um, a really good ghost story. Mm-hmm. Let's always dig down and find the truth. But I would still go. I would still love mm-hmm. to go to this location and have a look where this place was because the history is fascinating. Mm. Um, and uh, I would like to lay flowers there for the children and the, the puppy dogs that yeah. had had to go to save the rest of their people. Yeah. And you know, we we have so often in these cases, and this one is case 80, found that the fact... Oh, no, it's way beyond 80. 82? Uh, yeah, about 82, I yeah. think. <laughs> this, this um, it, we find that fact is always creepier, weirder, mm-hmm. and more interesting than the fiction 
that is made up about some of these sites. So we have to and do that's, that's what we yeah, love. We have to do what we normally do. Is this a true haunting, Renata? Uh, not in case of the white lady. No, mm. that's all bunkum. Yeah, no, the blue lady, black lady, white, white lady, lady, whatever, whatever she is. <laughs> nope, that's yep. a Mills and Boone story that is being created. But I'd oh, like to the know site more. lends itself to so much more. Yeah, to so much more. It's a shame that people aren't going deeper into this. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for joining us on this week's episode of True Hauntings. I hope you have enjoyed it because I really enjoyed digging down into this one. Mm. I hope I made sense of what I came up with because I had so many pages of notes and I was trying to, to put it all together. Uh but we thank you guys for being our faithful listeners and remember, share it around. Let other people know about us because we would love to grow even further. Thank you for being here. Follow us on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook. Become a Patreon if you'd like to support our work. And guys, we will see you on the dark side. And remember, everyone, if you're going to stay something, stay spooky. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.anneandrenata.com. 